So anybody want to be used to the board, really? Anyone? Yes. 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 Looking down doing the slides. Yes. Yes, yes, he seems to be. Yeah. He hasn't told anyone that, okay. so you're not involved yeah. in that. But yes, I do think that's what's going on, as well as iTunes and the music has changed. Cool. And, no, yeah. it's, everything is like running super efficient. Yeah. 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 That's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'll just stay here if he needs to. To bring life, to bring salvation, to bring truth, to bring transformation. Isaiah 6 8 says, I heard the voice of the Lord say, Who shall I send? And who will go for us? Then I said, here am I, send me. And the Lord said, go. So Isaiah has a vision of the Lord. He sees God in turbulent, troubled times. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 6, the start of this chapter, says when King Uzziah died, and so it was a very favorable king in Israel, and the king had died, and the people were wondering what's going to happen. And the Lord said, I want someone to go for me. I want someone to do something. I want someone to do something significant in a generation. And Isaiah heard that call, and he volunteered himself. Right? And the Lord didn't go, you're not qualified, I'm not interested. He didn't say anything like that. He said, I'll take that offer. He said, here I said, me, the Lord said, go. And so one of the things, if you want to be used greatly, we're talking about making a comeback. And some of you, 2019 is about turning it around. It's about a comeback. It's about doing something you've never done. It's about becoming someone you've never been. Amen. Thank you. Yes. Was it getting you guys got a vision from the Lord? And he got, a, he got a vision of the Lord, he got a vision from the Lord, and he was willing to go. And so he saw that the Lord was great, the Lord was good, he saw that God wanted to do something in a generation, he saw that what could be what was possible, he didn't know what he was doing, but he was willing. Say this with me, I don't have to know what I'm doing, I just have to be willing. It's true. So we're going to talk about another person in the scripture this morning, and he was a guy that God used significantly in a generation, and his name is Noah. And there's a lot of background about the flood, and we're not going to really get into the theology of the flood or the events of the flood or anything. We're going to just specifically look at the life of Noah, and we're going to show you some things. I want to show you some things about the life of Noah. And so if you're interested in the story, it's Genesis 6 through chapter 6 through uh, chapter 9. And I'm just going to read you some portions of it. It says, this is the account of Noah and his descendants. Noah was faithful before the Lord and was a man of integrity among the people of his time. So Noah, if you're going to partner with greatness, there's four decisions that you have to make. I want you to know that Jesus has an offer to everyone. We're all called, we're all summoned, we all have an opportunity to do something great in our lifetime. And I don't know about this, this is oftentimes not something that's shared a lot in churches, but Christians are accountable for your calling. And if you know that, Jesus has called you. And we will all stand before the Lord. And he's not going to ask you about your investment portfolio. He's not going to ask you about your children. He's not going to ask you about how well you kept your lawn. That's not going to interest him at all. What he's going to ask you is, what did you do for me? Or better yet, it's not what we do for him, it's what we do with him. What did you partner with me on? What did you believe me for? What did you go forth and do? Parable of the talents is like a cold reality if you read it. You read the Bible and he gave, the Bible says the, the king gave four to one, two, uh, three to two, two to another, and, and one to one. And everybody that grabbed their talents, they went out and did something with it. But the guy that only had one, he didn't do anything. And he said, I was afraid. I didn't do it. I was afraid. And I hid what you gave me. I hid my calling, I hid what I knew, I hid my faith, I hid everything about myself, and Jesus wasn't too happy about that. He said, you're wicked and foolish. The very minimum thing you should have done was invested it with the stewards. The stewards is the church. Stewards, the household of faith is the stewards. The very least you could have done was taken what I've given you and invested it within the context of the church. Through ministry, through service, through healing. We think that serving in the church or being a part of the church is like the the, the great hierarchy or the great high point of, of, our, of our faith. It's not. It's only the beginning. This is the beginning. So if you can't come in and connect to church, you haven't even made it. To, you have, you're, you're not even in elementary school yet. You haven't even bridged your calling because we're all called to be part of a family. And we're all called to commit and connect to church. You say, I don't like church. Nobody asked you if you liked it. Jesus never asked us if we liked it. He, he's not taking votes. He's not looking for opinions. And we live in America, so we got the Heinz 57. I mean, we got the Baskin Robbins 
churches. You got every flavor you can possibly think of. But if you do not, if you are not in a place where you are challenged, you will never change. American church is really big on not challenging the people. We're just going to do it all for you. We're going to get you some chairs down front that vibrate. We're going to get some skinny jeans and smoke machines. Roll it out for you. Feel like you're at a rock concert. Not a problem. We're going to do it all for you. Don't you worry. You just sit back, relax, and be comfortable. And we'll interview you. Was it too cold for you this morning? We're going to make sure we do that next time. For the bagel stale, well, we'll do better on that next time. And instead of calling the people onto Christ and onto service and challenging people into their destiny, all we're doing is providing comforts for them. And we give people jello and fruit loops and, and, and Snickers bars when we're supposed to feed them steak and eggs. It's okay to have an ice cream sundae from time to time. But you're going to get anemic, you're going to have all kinds of problems if all you're on is a sugar diet. And if everything's rah-rah, nothing hits you where you live, and nothing changes you, and nothing transforms you, you will not grow. Where there is no challenge, there is no change. You must be challenged on your thinking, you must be challenged on your habits, you must be challenged on the way that you live. And you must be called from where you are unto where you need to be. You have to be. Or there is no effective change. The Bible says that Jesus leads us from glory to glory. He's not interested in you staying as you are. His interest is in bringing you from glory to glory to glory, to ever-increasing levels of goodness, ever-increasing levels of greatness. That's his interest in your life. And so here's Noah. God wants to do something in the generation. And the first thing we learned from Noah is you got to, if you want to be changed, if you want to do something, if you want to partner with the Lord, you got to dare to be different from culture. Ouch. Dare to be different than the culture. We're in the world, but we're not of it. What does this mean? This word culture, this is the world, right? So the world that we live in is a culture. The Bible uses the word cosmos. And what it is, is it's not so much a place as much as it is, it is, it is a way of thinking. And so if we realize that we are in this system of thinking, but we are not of this system of thinking, you're going to understand exactly what he's talking about. It's not a physical place. And so the church believes, oh, it's a physical place, so we create Ziploc bags, isolating everybody from the world. We either completely entangle ourselves into the culture to where there's no differentiation between the believer and the unbeliever, or we're so high and tight, mighty and holy, that we're exclusive, that nobody, we're just, we're, we're an offense even to ourselves. Yes. Okay. It's not, it's not a place. Let's go on that. Let's go on. It's a way of thinking. Jesus says you're in a system of I got your back. This, all of this ties into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God begins with the way that you think. Romans 12.1. Be transformed by what? The renewing of your mind. Transformation doesn't begin with habits. Transformation begins with the way that you think. That's where it begins. And if you don't change the way you think, there's nothing going to change. So we're in a cosmos. We're in a culture. Right? And so here's Jesus, John 17.14. They are not of this world anymore than I am of the world. In Christ, you no longer belong to this system. You no longer belong to this culture. You belong to the kingdom culture. And our lives are to be lived from heaven to earth, not from earth to heaven. We got the paradigm completely wrong. And this is why we cannot manifest the things that God has set forth. It's because our thinking is wrong. We're going about it from heaven to earth. It's not from heaven to earth. It's, he it's earth to heaven. We think from his world to ours. You say, what's that look like? Well, that's the journey, isn't it? That's the path of discovery. We discover him. We discover our world. The Bible says you're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Heaven to earth. On earth as it is in heaven. It's a consistent theme. Consistent theme. But because we're lazy, we don't take the time, even in leadership, the church in leadership doesn't take the time to discover what that means. The people are ignorant of it. If there's ignorance in the church, it's not the people's fault. It belongs to the teachers. All should not desire to be teachers for such will face a stricter judgment. I'm accountable. I'm doubly accountable. You think you're accountable? I'm twice as accountable. I mean, every time I teach, I am well aware that whatever I say, God will hold me accountable. So I better be, I better be, I don't have to be right because so I'm never going to be perfect, but I better be the 80 percentile. Amen. And my heart better be right. Because that's really what he's going to judge me on, is my intention. And so that's the goal. You know? So here it is. You've got to be different than the culture. We're in the world, but we're not of it. Jesus is praying not that we be taken out 
taken out of the world. So here's the problem. The church is all crying out of the problem when Jesus drops us. Sweep us away. He never prayed that for us. His prayer was for us to remain in the world and bring his kingdom onto this world. My prayer is not that you be swept away on beds of luxuries with the sound of the last trumpet. That's going to happen. But that's not the goal. Jesus is praying. He says, my prayer is not that you be taken out of the world. For they are not of the world, even as I am. His, his desire is that you be set apart by what is true. And what is that? What exactly is true? Truth begins with the word of God. And then we have a mandate over our lives. Every Christian has a calling. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them. You are all sent into a culture. You are called to bring the kingdom culture into the culture around us. And what does that look like? That, that, that varies greatly by where people are at. One of the things it looks like, if you want to take the workplace, it looks like show up on time. That would be kingdom culture. Be responsible. Show up on time, do your job, and keep your mouth shut. That's kingdom culture. That right there is going to differentiate you from about 75% of the people in the workplace. They're going to go, wow, that guy shows up on time. That guy doesn't get involved in any of the party politics and anything like that. He actually does his job. He's actually trying to add value to the company. You're, you're participating in the kingdom culture right there. You're bringing the culture of heaven into the world. And you're not looking at your boss as your reward. You're looking at Jesus. We pour workers under the Lord. The kingdom culture and how we reflect the kingdom culture in the world, and here we're going to push right up on some cows, right? We're going to get right down where people live. It's the way we handle our money. It's the way we handle our families. It's the way we handle our sexuality. Ouch. It's the way that we handle every aspect of our life is a reflection of the kingdom. We are in this world, but we are not of it. And we're not doing it because we're Puritans. We're doing it because it's the reflection of the world from which we come. You understand? We tithe. Why do we tithe? Because Jesus says so. We abstain. Now, I'm not so foolish as to think people aren't having sex. I get it. They're having sex. But the goal is to not have sex before marriage. That's the goal. Okay? Get a little quiet in here. That's the goal. Why? Because Jesus is the joy? No, he's trying to protect you. The whole point is to protect you. I mean, we can line up the stories, the horror stories of people that didn't just went there and hearts are prepaid, bloods are completely shattered just because we don't obey that simple thing. It's true. Well, Jesus worked with the mess. 100% he works with the mess. Your father's in the restoration business. That's what you need to know. 24 hours, 7 days a week, eternally, Jesus is in the restoration business. So if you broke it, you just go, Daddy, fix it. I did it again. I smashed it for the 30th time. Fix it. You know what he's going to do? He'll fix it. He'll work all things out to your good because he loves you. There is no mess that you have made that disqualifies you. You cannot qualify you because you didn't qualify you. You cannot disqualify you because you never qualified you. The only one who can disqualify you is Jesus, and he never disqualifies you. You're qualified, 100%. You can't be rejected. The only way you screw this up is if you quit. That's the only way. And even then, he'll bring you back around and you'll come back to him. It's so true. You need to not worry about your, you need to just love the Lord and go there. And you're, you, we, we get so self-condemning. It's not about self-condemnation. There is therefore now, right now, no condemnation to those in Christ Jesus. Well, I was just talking about salvation. Are you, you know, I, I don't know this verse comes from me. Are you so dull that you don't understand that? There's therefore now, right now, no condemnation. You're not condemned. All things are lawful, not all things. This is for somebody. I don't know why I'm on this day. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. The decisions that you make do not disqualify you from his love. The decisions that you make may screw your life up and may create a world of mess and may disqualify you from your destiny, but it never disqualifies you from his love. And even the messes that you make, if you want to, he'll, he'll fix them. He'll fix them. So what's going on here is we're saying we have a mandate into the world. At the time of Noah, the culture was corrupted. The Bible uses the word corrupted. One way of understanding it is it's polluted. Polluted. I'm going to break this down for you. This is important. 
Again, why do I say this? Because a lot of times the messages that we bring forth are not clear. And we'll teach something like to, to pursue. So we'll look at it as joy. But every single one of you have these innate desires. It's in you. Right? So we cannot qualify things that were how we've been made. God has made us a certain way to desire certain things. So the, the, the nature of our makeup is of the Lord, but we have been polluted by sin. Therefore, the pursuit of those desires are not necessarily correct. Understand that? To pursue pleasure, which is ultimately the pursuit of joy, that is, that, that is a pure desire from the Lord. But because sin has polluted us, the way that we pursue that is wrong. You understand that? But the pursuit of pleasure, to be happy, to experience, to love, to have joy and pleasure, that's not, that's not a wrong thing. We teach Buddhism in Christianity. Buddhism is the absence of feeling, the absence of self. It's the pursuit of nothingness. That's what Buddhism is. The gospel is not Buddhism. It's not. You're made to know joy. You're made to know pleasure. But you're made to pursue it in the manner in which he created it to be. You want to have belonging. You want to belong and you want to have belongings. Is there anybody here that doesn't? You want to belong and you want to have belongings. You want some things of your own. Again, that is a pure, that is something that God has built in you. But the way that you go about it, because sometimes the way we go about it is because sin has polluted us. So what we do as the church is we qualify all these things as sin. Well, to pursue pleasure is sin. To pursue belongings is sin. To pursue uh, achievement or significance is sin. No, it's not. To selfishly pursue those things is sin. But the pursuit of those things is not sin. If you're pursuing them for the, from the basis of self, self-seeking, indulgent only for you, then we're off. That's the problem. The problem is when we pursue them apart from Jesus or at the expense of him. God's got a plan. He made you. You don't think he wants to bring you joy in your life? You don't think he wants to bring you to pleasure? You don't think that's what he wants? God wants you to have belongings. He wants you to have belongings, and he wants you to belong. God wants you to know. He wants you to be popular or, or achieve amongst ourselves. And he wants you to also have significance. He wants you to achieve, gain, and have value. Right? And say, why am I saying that? Well, there's a process to all that. God's going to bring you. He's going to mature you. He's going to cut some things away from you. He's going to take things out of your life in order to bring things into them. He's going to take your pursuits and he's going to transform them if you walk with him. That's the problem. It's the difference between goodness and greatness. Heaven, you can have a good life if you follow the opposite for great life. That's the difference. You're not promised a perfect life, so I'm not up here saying, you know, my little pony and rainbows. I'm not, I'm not speaking my little pony and rainbows. But what I'm trying to do with this particular point is that we want to identify things in the culture, and we want to say that that's wrong. Well, it's not wrong. It's wrong in the context of self. Do you understand that? There is nothing wrong with me pursuing joy into his presence, into his purposes. There's nothing wrong with me pursuing significance in order to make Jesus known. You understand that? There's nothing wrong with perceiving achievement or proceed or, or, or to, to build a business that has belongings and possessions that I can fund the gospel with. And guess what? All along the way, you get a back up, you get a blessing too. Am I making sense? Or you guys are like looking at me like I'm on, I'm on another planet here. You understand that? It's the pursuit of things without him. The pursuit without him. It's the same thing, okay? So let's just put it in context of relationships, right? Every man wants a woman. Every woman wants a man. That's generally the idea, right? And not only that, there's, there's innate desires and wants that we have. We have a want for intimacy. We have a want for uh, sexuality. We have a want for like an intellectual or emotional bond with one another. Why is that there? Because you're created for that. Why, why do we pursue it in the wrong way? Because sin has polluted us. Does God not want to give it to us? Of course he wants to give it to us. But he wants to do it through the framework in which he's established. That's the difference. You understand that? There's nothing wrong with the pursuit of joy. There's nothing wrong with the pursuit of pleasure. There's nothing wrong with that as long as it's pursued in the context of Jesus. At his hand of pleasure is forevermore, the Bible says. At his right hand. He has joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, it's pleasure. Pleasures. You're created to have pleasure, fun, fun, enjoyment, life, happiness, kindness, goodness, joy. Amen. And Kevin, I, I, I think I understand you. You're, you're doing okay right now, so I think. Uh, <laughs> 
I know some of you are thinking, what am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that these things are built in you and you cannot deny them. What you must do is you must orient them correctly. You have to take them and orient them. You can't kill the desire. The church tries to teach you to kill it. You can't. Because it's called innate. It's part of your being. So you have to recognize that this is part of who I am, and I need to take this and drive it towards Jesus, and not drive it towards myself. You understand the difference? This is what it says. Okay, so seek first the kingdom of God and what is right to him, and everything will be added to him. Also, all things go towards God's kingdom, towards what is right to him. So take your sexuality and do, use it towards the kingdom, and use it in a way that's right to him. Take your money and put it towards the kingdom, and use it in a way that is right to him. Take your desire for whatever it is that you want. Your God Bible says, again, I know you we love to kill desire. Delight yourself in me, and I will give you what? Thank you. Thank you. I mean, I don't know where we get off on this verse where we stumble at that. God wants to give you what's in your heart. Do you understand that? But he can't give it to you if you're going your way. He can only give it to you when you go his way. That's why we take, we deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Amen. We're not monks. This isn't a monastic tradition. Jesus was never monastic. He was a monk. Oh, oh. Well, it's not true. Noah honored the Lord in spite, of him, in spite of himself and the opinions of others. In spite of what Noah wanted, he desired to honor God. In spite of what everybody else thought, he was going to honor God. He was going to do what was right to the Lord, and he was going to honor God in spite of anything around him. What mattered to him most was God's honor and God's mission. Nothing else mattered. We just say this together. When in doubt, honor the Lord. If there's ever any question, honor Jesus. Should I do this or should I do that? I don't know. What you, what you should do is you should honor God. If it contradicts your honor of Him, you shouldn't do it. Just to, that's just a good way of recognizing it. Here's the thing. So you're calling. God has a calling, and your calling is always going to collide with scope with, with culture. The things that God calls you to aren't necessarily the thing that God calls His people to. The things that God calls His sons and daughters to it's going to collide with culture. Everything about us collides with culture. We're called. Do you know that? I'll give you one. Tell me this isn't going to collide. Stand in front of people and go, I'm a son of the highest. I'm an heir of this world and the one to come. I've been endowed with absolute, total spiritual authority. I have power in this life and in the one to come. People can look at you like, who the heck do you think you are? I didn't say you can manifest it. Just because you can't manifest it doesn't mean you don't have it. That's the difference. We don't think we have it because we can't manifest it. No, you don't know what you're doing. That's why you can't manifest it. But the fact is, you are an heir of this life and the one to come. You are a son of the highest. You are daughters of the highest. You're not going to be. You are right now. Right now. And so here it is, the transformation of the way that you think. When you start seeing yourself as divine royalty, and you start seeing yourself as an heir of this world and the one to come, and I'm a son of my father, and my life is to be lived about my father's business, and then you pursue him in relationship to that identity and pursue him in relationship to that calling, things start to get really clear. It will be clear to you. God has a purpose for you in this world and it's directly aligned with your identity as him before him as a son. I don't look like a son, I don't act like a son, none of that matters. None of that matters. Again, I'm going to come right up against doctrinal teachings within the church. We say you have to earn it in order to get it. Jesus gives it to you. He calls you who and what you are long before you get there. You're a son and a daughter. I don't look like it. You, you may be far removed from actually living that out, but the title and the endowment and the power of that is given to you, free of charge. It comes with the covenant. And so stop trying to earn something that's already given to you. Spiritual power, spiritual authority. You have to learn to exercise that. You have to learn to manifest that. If you're getting Christian lazy, that's what we like to call it, kingdom of laziness. We're lazy. We don't pursue what God has given to us. He's given you something, and you're supposed to discover it. He's given you something, and you're supposed to exercise yourself until his world becomes our world. So his truth becomes your reality. We press in, and what happens is that the church can't manifest it, so we create doctrines that say it's not true. Amen. 
doctors, denying the doctors, there's dogmas, there are lies, there's no there's no scripture, scriptural basis for the things that's taught. None. They just make it up. Maybe injections of scripture that don't make any sense at all. You have power, you have authority. Try it out sometime. Begin to pray, go into the atmosphere, begin to pray in the spirit, begin to pray. Begin to move mountains in the spirit. You're going to feel resistance against you. And the devil's going to lie to you and go, the devil, the Lord doesn't want you to pray, or you're not worthy to pray. No, the devil doesn't want you to open your mouth. Because as soon as you begin to pray, as soon as you begin to take your rightful place as a son and daughter, things change. The atmosphere changes. The Bible says this, creation is groaning for the revelation of the sons and daughters of God. Creation is groaning, saying, are there any sons and daughters that actually know who they are? Is there anybody who actually going to step up and take their rightful place? It's a progression, Christian. You know, for you, you may only understand it through the power of prayer. You may only understand it through the identity. You may only begin to exercise yourself into your, into your inheritance. You begin to exercise yourself into your identity, and things start to change. But it's not going to change until you begin to see yourself as God sees you. It's not how you see you. It's not how your neighbor sees you. It's irrelevant. It's how heaven sees you. And your sons and daughters, flat out, straight up, not going to be in Christ, you're already his son, and you're his daughter. Three levels of understanding, I'll give you this one too. Here's where the church has to mature. We have three levels of understanding. If you want to know the highest level of understanding, it's sons and daughters. Most Christians see themselves only as servants. Servants. Right. See themselves only as servants. I'm serving God. Serving God. I'm a son and I'm forever a servant. I get it. Then we have the second level where we're friends. Oh, we're friends. Friends with Jesus, friends, we're all friends, running around with our little flags. You know, we're friends, and I don't think it's flags, but we're like running around, like throwing things in the air, skipping, going, we're friends, we're friends. We're higher than friends. We're sons and daughters. We don't, we're, we're heirs. I'm a, son, I'm a son, and my father is my friend. I'm a son, and I serve my father. So I'm a servant. I'm a friend, but my highest calling and the highest level of understanding is that you're a son and a daughter. That's the highest level of understanding. This is the Romans 12 1, the transformation of the way that you think. That right there, if you don't get it, you're not going anywhere. Transformation begins with the way that you think. And what happens is, is we start glitching. Yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, I don't know about that. And it seems egotistical. You know, I'm a son of the highest. Stop looking in the mirror in the morning. The daughter of God. You were queen before your father. You were divine royalty. Jesus has so much for you. You will rule in this life. You have power that you don't even know. Begin to acknowledge it, and then begin to ask God to begin to show you how to reveal the things that he's given to you. This is truth. This is gospel. This isn't dogma. This isn't doctrine. This is spiritual truth, I'm telling you. Your calling will always collide with culture. When we have a calling on our lives, you're going to be labeled as narrow, going to be labeled as intolerant. Try to live pure sexually in a world that's like lost its mind sexually. You're, you're narrow, you're late, you're this, you're that. You get all kinds of labels. All kinds. Stand up and actually go, hey, that's wrong. Oh, you're narrow. You're intolerant. You're going to be labeled. Jesus said you're going to be hated by all peoples for my name's sake. What was he talking about? Oh, I got a parking ticket. Oh, man, I'm really being persecuted. You need to pray for me. <laughs> you know, your lifestyle, living a life towards Christ, is what's going to, what's going to cause them to hate you. And you don't want to be hated, but what it is is it's the darkness in them rejecting the light that's in you, and it's spiritual. It's not the person. Darkness doesn't. Darkness despises the light. It's just true. You live a life like that, you're trying to come on you. But your flesh doesn't like it, right? You know, so my wife's okay, I'll take my wife. So Sherry's in there. We, 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 I'll, I'll get to the background, but she's doing soaking worship down in the bedroom, right? And somehow I'm doing stuff and I walk into the bedroom and it's like, I'm like, it's like I'm in like, woo, land because it's like soaking worship, right? And um, when I come into the room and I listen to it because I'm doing stupid things, my flesh is like, she's like, just sit down and listen to this for a little bit. I'm like, I don't want to sit down and listen to that. You know? But then all of a sudden I sit down and I start listening to it. And I'm like, wow. 
it starts changing you, it starts transforming you. Your flesh doesn't like light. Just like the light that's in you, people who don't know Jesus don't like it. The people that don't like you, you don't even know why. You ever had that happen to you? People don't like you, you I don't know why that person doesn't like me, they just don't like me. And usually it's because there's a perception that the, it's the light in you that's reflected back to them. We're not haters of the culture, we're called to bring another culture. So we're not here like tearing down the culture and attacking things within the culture. Attacking things within the culture really isn't going to get us anywhere. What we're called to do is bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth, to bring the our Father's role, and this, what does that look like? Okay, this, this is going to, I don't know, I guess you keep feeling like, you're not proud of this. It looks like, in a world of greed, we bring generosity. In a world of injustice, we bring justice. In a world that's without compassion, we bring true compassion. We bring transformative change to, that's what it looks like. Our Father's world into this one. Love, kindness, compassion, gentleness, meekness, love, understanding, Hope, restoration. That's what we lead with. And on the backside of that is power, kingdom power. You don't even need to lead with kingdom power. You can lead with love. You can lead with understanding. You can lead with hope. You can lead with a lot of things. But that's what our lives are supposed to be. So as believers, we're supposed to not flip the guy off that's trying to cut you off. My wife's looking at me. <laughs> Yeah. We're supposed to, you know, I'm sorry. Anyway, we're supposed to bring our Father's world into this one. So, number one, the first thing we have to do is we have to dare to be different than the culture. Number two is we have to dare to listen to God's voice above all others. Here again, Jesus said what? My sheep hear my voice, right? The Bible tells us in Revelation, it tells us, those who have ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying, that's a present reality, to the churches. It's not what he has said, it's what he is saying. The issue is that Jesus is forever speaking. The question is, is are we listening? We have to listen to God's voice above all others. We have to silence the doubt. Silence the doubt of other people. You want to know what the Lord thinks of you? Just get in a place of prayer. Just get in a place of stillness. Again, to just, pray, just, just quiet your heart and just center yourself spiritually and just ask the Lord to speak over you. And wait for the voice of kindness, because that's his. Wait for the voice of love, because that's his. His voice carries with it no condemnation. His voice carries with it no accusation. And so if you're hearing voices of accusation and condemnation, you can write it down. It's not from Jesus. It's not. And so you have to silence the doubters. You have to begin to listen to God's voice above all others. That begins with your identity. The enemy wants to condemn you, wants to tell you you're not perfect. I tell myself all the time, I'm not perfect, and Jesus loves me. I screwed that up big time, but Jesus loves me. Nobody else likes me, but Jesus loves me. The one I kept doesn't even like me, but that's okay, Jesus likes me. What the one I kept? She'll lay next to me, Alex is now forecast, so she'll lay next to me until Sherry comes out and sits on the chair that she gets up and goes up to Sherry all the time. What's interesting is she doesn't even like the cat, you know. <laughs> I like the cat. So she's like, dude, dude, get away, get away. <laughs> we have to dare to listen to God's voice above others. We have to silence doubts. Even Jesus had people around him that didn't believe him, his brothers didn't believe him. They're like, well, if you're all this, then go show yourself to, to go show yourself to the world. It says, for even his brothers. Believe, did not believe in him, or not even his brothers believed in him. And Jesus said to him, my time is not, is not yet come, yours is always here. When he's saying to them, come on another agenda. You have to work according to God's timetable, not your own. You have to work according to God's agenda, not your own. You have to listen to other voices. People are going to try to push you in directions that you know it's not right for you to go. People are going to try to put you on their agenda when you know the Lord has another thing for you, or you know that this is what you're supposed to be doing, and you're being pushed into other people's agendas. You have to learn to say no. I'm working from a different agenda. And then there's a second thing. You have to listen to God. You listen to God's voice above others. You have to silence the doubters and the mockers. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is when Jesus went to heal the daughter. He went to heal this little girl, and as he's approaching, can you imagine? As he's approaching, Jesus said, she's not dead, she's only sleeping. You might know the story? Yeah. And all of the people said, and the Bible says that all of the people mocked him. 
to shame, ridiculed him, laughed at him, not just laughed because he said it, but they turned it around on his person. So it was a personal insult, okay? Negatives, naysayers, haters. So Jesus shows up and he's going to perform a miracle, he's going to release his kingdom. And the first thing he does is he removes all the doubters from the room. All the naysayers, all the haters, all those that didn't believe he could do it, all those that didn't believe what he said, all those that didn't believe in his power or his purpose, he said, there's the door. You put them all out of the room. You've got to move these types of people out of your, out of your life. These people that are haters, these people that are negative, I'm not talking about people that have a bad day. We all have a bad day. I'm talking about people that are consistently tearing at you and consistently dismantling and consistently opposing the things that you know the Lord has told you to do. You have to remove them from your life. Somebody said, show me your friends and I'll show you my future. Show me, let me show you my friends and then I'll show you my future. It's true. You're not going to rise above the level of the people that you associate with. So if you're associated with negative people, haters, destructive people, odds are you're going to be just in that. The Bible says, be, don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You don't pull them up, they pull you down every time. You need to get rid of them. You need to just make an executive decision and say, I'm ending this. And you say, oh, it's ending, it's ending. For God's sake, this would be for every ending. There's a new beginning. Don't mourn the ending. Get excited about the new beginning. You can make new friends. You have to change the way you think about, not just what others say, but the way you think about yourself. Not be conformed to this world, but there it is. Be transformed by the renewing of the mind. That testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, and what is perfect and acceptable. You're gonna, you won't even discern correctly the will of God until you get your thinking straight. That's what that verse is telling us. You won't perceive what God's will is for your life until you begin to see yourself as he sees you. Until you begin to think from his world into yours. You won't even know the will of God. There are things that will be silent to you. The book won't be open to you. The word will not be available to you because your thinking's wrong. God could God would tell you, but you can't, even, you can't even imagine it. When you begin to understand that you're a son and a daughter, all of a sudden the will of God begins to come in your life. You start to meditate. What does it mean to be a son of my father? What does that mean? It means I have a responsibility. It means I have an accountability. It means I have an inheritance. And then, okay, well, what's my responsibility? My responsibility is to do something with, with what he's given me. My accountability is to be about my father's business. And everything that I do, I'm to bring my father's business. You would go to churches in a business, Kevin. You don't know your Bible. It's our father's business. 100% it's a business. What does it mean, too? It means I have an inheritance. Inheritance must be discovered. That's why Ephesians says that God the Paul in the book of Ephesians, he's praying for the Christians that they would understand what is given to them in the covenant, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, that you would know what is yours, that you would know what Jesus paid to give you. That's a lifelong pursuit. If you leave your harvest in the field, man, that's the biggest tragedy. One of the failure to what failure in identity and failure to reap the harvest that God has for you. The two greatest tragedies among the believer and among greatest tragedies. He's called you higher. He's called you more. Jesus didn't bring you into his house to leave you in the foyer. We settle on salvation as if it's the only thing. And then we're all, we're just all so tepid and all so tremoring and so grateful that Jesus saved us. He saved you for glory. I use this analogy. Anybody in here that have a son and a daughter, you have a child, and every time that child, you come into that child's presence, that child comes into your presence, they're like, Mommy, I'm just so grateful that you had me. I'm just so grateful. I'm not going to do anything for the next five years except stand in front of you and tell you how grateful I am that you had me. Now, it's wonderful to hear that you had them, but eventually any parent wants to see that child become something, don't they? No parent glories in the child trembling in fear before them at all times. Oh, oh, I'm so afraid. Oh, I'm just so grateful. Are you in a good mood today, Dad? I don't know. I'm just so grateful. Nobody, nobody wants that. Every parent wants the best for their children. And every parent wants their children to take full advantages of the privilege that they give you. There are many of you in this room. You have worked your tail off. To get your after not to get your family to a place where your children can go beyond you. Yes. And it, yes. 
And it bothers you when they lower themselves, doesn't it? I tell my kids all the time, would you rise to the level of your birth, please? Would you please rise to the level of your birth? Your mom and I scratched it out to get out of the gutter, and the last thing we want to do is see you go back there. Yet that's what happens. And you think your heavenly father's any different? Would you rise to the level of your birth, Christian? He doesn't glory you trembling on the floor. Oh, well, we're just going to hug the cross. I'm all in on the cross, man. But we, we idolize a moment. We idolize the doorway. We're in the foyer. If all we're doing is idolizing the cross, we haven't even made it into the house. You're in the lobby. But that's where we are. That's where we stay, in the lobby. Oh, the wonderful cross, 30 years. The wonderful cross, oh, the wonderful cross. He's got levels. In my Father's house are many rooms. There are many levels. There are many dimensions. There are many wonders for you to be discovered in this life and the world to come. If you don't believe it, well, you don't know the Holy Spirit. And you've never had an encounter. And you're a carnal Christian, and you think like the world. And you need to be renewed in your mind if you don't think God has inheritance. And you need to be renewed in your mind if you don't think he has power. And you need to be renewed in your mind if you don't think he has experience for you. You're carnal. Carnal. That's the majority of our churches. Carnal. Fleshly. Never calling people into the spirit. Ever. Ever. Keeping them nice, safe, comfortable. At all times. Comfortable. It's wrong. It's absolutely wrong. Destiny doesn't lie in the lobby. There's a swimming pool out back, people. There's a polo ground. Did you know that? Wow, I didn't know there was a balcony. I didn't know there was a penthouse where I could see everything. I didn't know this was there. There's a vineyard. There's wonders, and it's yours by right. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And we negate these verses and we cast them off as if they're only verses for the sweet by and by. Those verses are for the rotten here and now, not the sweet by and by. And if you don't believe them, you need to take them up on the offer. That's right. I've lived my life putting Jesus to the test. I have lived my life pushing up against everything that he said. And not one thing that he has said has ever failed. Not one thing. Not one promise that he's ever made has ever fallen short of what I expected. Not one. Not one. We do fire starters here. We lay hands on the sin. That's right. We prophesy here. Do you know what the common response is? Wow, this has been here the whole time? I'm like, yeah, it's been here the whole time. You know, I've been for 20 years with Jesus, and I didn't know I could prophesy. Duh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. You're old, you're young. Dreaming dreams, seeing visions. Part of the kingdom. Laying hands on the sick. And, oh, oh my gosh, dare I say it? Seeing them recover. You mean we can manifest miracle power? Yes. yes. We'll all do it, no, because we don't know what we're doing. You've got to change the way that you think. If we going to tell you the right way to think, you're going to pray for someone, it's because I don't know what I'm doing. It's not because the power isn't present. It's because I don't know how to manifest it. That's the problem. Oh, well, I don't know about that. It's 100% true. It's 100% true. You don't know how to manifest it. That puts the onus back on you. When God has a problem, it's never on his side. It's on yours. I'll get to that in a minute. Change your emotional, spiritual, and intellectual diet. You want to renew your mind, you have to change the way that you think. And some of you, you need to stop taking in what you're taking in. Above all things, guard your heart for all diligence, for out of your heart comes the issues of life. All things come out of your heart. But it's funny, what comes out of our heart, we never think about what goes into our heart. Your heart has gateways. It has eye gates and ear gates. What you are watching, what you are putting through your eyes is coming into you, and it's going to affect what comes out of you. What goes into your ears is going to what's going to come out of you. Watch your kids as they listen to music and then watch their behavior. They won't even be listening to the song and they're starting to manifest the song or the thing that they watched over and over again. Why? Because it's, we're putting things in our heart. 
And when we put things into our heart, that's what we manifest. You want to be successful? You need to put success in your heart. You want to know your father? You need to put things about your father. You want to be powerful and spiritual? That's what you need to feed on. You are what you eat. What you feed grows. What you starve dies. Jesus says this, those who don't know Christ follow natural instincts. Why? Because they don't have the Holy Spirit. A lot of believers follow natural instincts because they don't know how to partner with the Holy Spirit. But you, dear friends, that would be us. Build yourselves up in your faith by praying, the old my here it is again, by praying in the Holy Spirit and keep yourselves where? In God's love. God's love. We're to build ourselves up in the faith, okay? So we're to build ourselves up into the things of God. That's on you. Every one of you. You're here this morning and you know what you're doing? Let me commend you. You're building yourself up in the faith. You, the Holy Spirit is building you this morning. He's putting things into you. It's spiritual DNA, the atmosphere, the word, the teaching. All of this stuff is having an effect on you. It's true. The Bible tells us also that the eye is the gate to the soul. Jesus said that. And if, you, if, if your heart becomes darkened, how great is the darkness? You begin to feed on these things, it's going to have an effect. You need to learn to hear God's voice. How do you learn to hear God's voice? Simple. Real easy, easy ways. The first one is Logos, which is the written word. That's an easy one. That's primer. That's for everybody. We all can hear God's voice simply by reading his word. Then there's Rhema, which is revelation. God reveals something to you according to his word. And then there's prophetic. Where God speaks life over you. There's a prophetic word given to you. There's something declared over you. That can happen to you spiritually. That can also happen to you with, with people that are prophesying over you. True. I was in church many times ago. I asked the Lord, I said, what are you going to do with my life? He said, you're going to lead my people. I was 19, I didn't know anything. I thought the book of Job tried to get a job. That was really like a level. Malachi, I pronounced it Malachi. The book of Malachi, what's that? It's like an Italian motor car or something. I didn't know anything. And I asked the Lord, can you play with him? I'm like, you lead my people. Why? Because he calls you what is not long before you get there. The time was nowhere near that. Nowhere near. So he will speak to you through his word, he'll speak to you through revelation, and he will speak over you. Some of you need to let him speak over you. I had a guy in here who was a medical student, so he knew he was into his head. And I uh, love those guys. And he uh, he came to a school of prophetic, he came to prophetic, and we were teaching him how to prophesy. The guy's like, I don't think I can do this, I don't think I can do this. I said, 100 percent you're gonna prophesy day one. By the end of the by the end of the of the, of the course, or by the end of the, the classes, this dude was prophesying in technicolor. He was precise, like precision, and he was seeing things like off the rails. And one of the first exercises I told him, I said, ask the Lord to say something to you. Ask him to speak over you. We're doing different things. But he came back to me the next week and he said, ask the Lord to speak over me. I said, yeah, what did he say? He said, and you are not pleased. I asked you, well, that's a lot of good. It's the beginning. You understand? We learn to hear his voice, we learn to hear his cadence, we learn to recognize him. And when it's simple ways the Lord speak over me, who do you say that I am? Speak over my life. Let him do it. I dare you. I dare you. He will speak wonderfully over you. The problem is, is don't harden your heart to receive it because he's going to hit you right where you live. He's going to tell you something really wonderful and meaningful. The hardest thing for Christians to do sometimes is receive love. That's why we did that little thing this morning. I do it often. It's to get you just to take a moment and see the love of God. Not know about his love, but encounter his love. Let it become real. Let it become living in you. Let it become hopeful. Say this with me. I will hear the Lord. Let's say it this way. I will hear when I draw near. Do what he says. The third thing is do what he says and do it, and do it, and do it the way that he says it. Right? So we have to avoid um, distractions. We have to avoid detours. So when you do, do what the Lord says and do it the way that he says it, do it when he says it. Noah, gave, Noah was given a highly detailed set of instructions and he followed them to the letter. He worked on what God told him, imagine this, 42,000 days. You don't think he was like, okay, this is day 34,261. Nothing's happening here. So I think I need to do something else. He worked on it 42,000 days and he waited. There were lots of opportunities for doubts, lots of opportunities for detours, and lots of opportunities for distractions. And God fulfilled his word to Noah. If you contrast Noah to another guy in the Bible named Saul, so Noah's given highly detailed instructions. 
Saul's given a simple set of instructions. Very, very simple set of instructions. And Saul repeatedly could not follow a simple set of instructions. And when he continued to do it, the last time he failed to follow a simple set of instructions, he disqualified himself. He became disqualified. A lot of you, you're disqualifying yourself from the things God wants to give you because you can't follow a simple set of instructions. You want a highly detailed set of instructions? Well, why don't we follow the simple set of instructions first? It's true. You're never going to go beyond that. So Saul couldn't follow a simple set of instructions. Noah walked with God, which is continual nearness. So I want to show you how the way this looks like, right? So it looks like this. God gives Noah a word, and so I'll read it for you. The Lord will affirm his current word to you, but he will not give you further instructions until you follow the instructions you've already been given. So God says to you, do this. You know, and you want to go back to him, and you start thinking, well, did he really say that? And you go back to him. The Lord will affirm that over to you to you over and over again. Yep, I said that. Yep. Am I doing it the right way? Yeah, you got he, he will communicate with you in light of what he said the whole time. He will never despise you, and he will never turn you away. Ever. He, if, you, if you are doing what he asks you to do, and you are communicating with him in that process, he will continue to affirm that to you, and he will continue to give you instruction. He will, but he will not give you any more instruction until you obey what you were last told. It's true. A lot of us were wondering why we can't, why, why isn't the Lord speaking? Because there's things two, three years ago, six months ago, three weeks ago that he told you to do, and you're not doing them. I'll give you the basic requirements of obedience to all Christians called the Radical Five. You will go no further than these five things. If you cannot get these five things functioning in your life in partnership with the Spirit, you're going nowhere. You're saying Jesus loves you, but your life is going to not move, it will not move forward. So I don't believe that. We'll try it out. I'll see you in five years. You'll see you. You'll tell me I'm right. What are the five things? Read your Bible, pray, commit, and connect to church, financially give, and live on mission. Those are the basic requirements for all believers. All Christians are called to read the Bible. All Christians are called unto prayer. All Christians are called to commit and connect to church. That's the, big, the two big pushbacks are usually when it comes to committing and connecting to church. We get pushback. Then the second thing that Christians push back on is financially giving. So let's deal with committing and connecting to church really briefly. You're called to commit and connect to church. There's no long rangers. You were never called. You were called to be a functioning part of a body. If you cut your hand off and leave it on the counter, two things are going to happen. Your body's going to be weaker because it has no hand, and the hand's going to die. That's how it's going to work. So if you cut yourself off from a from a, a, a body, you will not succeed. You ever see lions as they hunt wildebeests? Who do they look for? The ones that aren't in the group. The one that thinks it can go off and do its own thing. Wolves that hunt sheep do the same thing. They don't attack the pack. They look for the one that strays away and thinks it can do it all by itself. You're called to be a part of a body. If you can't be part of a community, the dysfunction is with you. You have a dysfunction. I don't have a dysfunction. Okay, yep, you have a dysfunction. And the first thing you need to do is ask Jesus. You need to lower your pride and admit you have a dysfunction. And then begin to address the issues that you have. You either have trust issues, there's a lot of issues that may be manifesting or may be there to where you think, and then you create a doctrine or a dogma or a belief system of your own that says you don't need church. That's not your Bible. That is not in your Bible. And you will not succeed without a family. Financially give. You don't have to, you get to in the New Testament. Oh, happy day. Right? You get to. And the Bible says that you know, it's God's financial plan. It's how we participate in the economy of heaven. And the scriptures were clear. It says, well, we're under law, we're under grace, and the whole teaching behind that, I'm not going to get into it. But what I tell people, if you don't want to financially give, that's fine. You just expect to adjust your expectations. Because you are summoned to give. We honor a king. We serve a king. The king is worthy of honor. He proclaims himself to his people. Every time the people got stingy and narcissistic and didn't think they need to honor God, every time he did that, he showed up and said, I'm a great king, and if you will not honor me, then I'm going to find another people who will. Over and over and over and over again. And it wasn't on the issue of their worship. It was on the issue of their giving. Every time. When they wouldn't even do the minimum. The Lord says, really? Go offer that to your governor. Go give your governor whatever's left over. Go give him 20 cents and see if he accepts it. 
Tell the tax man that's what you're paying him, and see how they respond. And the Lord says, I'm a great king and I'm worthy of honor. If this people will not, I will find a people who will. Oh, Jesus would never do that. Again, you don't know him. You do not know him. You're, he doesn't mean he doesn't love you. He loves you. And the Bible tells us in James that if you will not honor the Lord, and you will not do what he says, then, then just know, don't expect anything from him. Because you're double-minded. Let the person who's double-minded, God says this, but you say that. That's what double-minded is. Jesus says, do this, and you go, I got a better idea. You're double-minded. And, and if you're that person, the Bible says you can be that person, but just know you're not going to receive anything from the Lord because your double-mindedness disqualifies. And you go, I don't believe that. Try it out. Try it out. Try it out. <laughs> Obey what you already know. Correct instruction is a test of faith to see if you qualify for greater things. Radical five is a test of faith to see if Jesus can trust you with something greater. Those who can trust, those who can be faithful with little can be entrusted with much. But those who will not be faithful with the little, they cannot be entrusted with much. Understand? And so a lot of times God gives us basic instructions, he gives us basic obedience just to see if we're going to do it. I have a teenager. We have to give him a nickel and see if he brings back a quarter. I mean, we have to see if he's able to follow a simple set of instructions in order for us to give him more. If he can't follow a simple set of instructions, well, he's not going to be given more. And in fact, we're going to reduce him even further. He understands that if he follows a basic set of instructions, the world is going to open up to him. But if he denies and will not follow the household rules of the basic set of instructions, it's not going to be a pleasant home for him or for me. It's true. And you think the father's house is any different than that? Do you think he doesn't know how to run his house with his sons and daughters? If you will do what he asks, the world opens up to you. But if you won't, you don't qualify for the next level. You're loved. You're saved, you're born again, you're forgiven, all that's true. But you're without inheritance, or you're not accessing inheritance, and I want inheritance. I'm willing to do whatever it takes, because I know Jesus has got something way more than anything I can, I can hope for. And lastly, you have to refuse to quit. You have to refuse to quit on a dream. God gives you a dream, God gives you a vision. You have to follow basic instructions and refuse to quit. You have to be more committed to winning than you are to losing. I'm going to tell you what it looks like. You have to be more committed to staying than you are to leaving. It's another act within our churches. We get offended and we leave. We walk out on everything because we're offended. We're offended. We're offended. We don't work through the ugly. We don't work through the process. You have to be more committed to staying than you are to leaving. You have to be more committed to winning than you are to losing. And you have to move forward. And you have to be more committed to moving forward than you are remaining the same. I don't want to move forward more than I want to stay the same. I don't want to be the same that I was five years ago. I don't. In no way. Emotionally, spiritually, intellectually, physically, I don't want to be anywhere. And I know I'm fighting time here. I get it. In the waistline. My six packs become a keg. I get it. <laughs> it's always too soon to quit. It requires you to adapt and change. That's what you have to do. You have to adapt and change. You're pursuing something and you're not able to achieve certain things. The question is, why can't I get there? Why can't I get there? This is foundational thinking, so here's the issue. Partnership. If it's not working, if the vision, the dream, or the word is not coming to pass, the question is why? And the answer is, it's not because Jesus doesn't want to give it to you. That's the answer. If there's a reason, if God has told you something, if you dream, a vision, a hope, something set before you, he's not going to do it without you. He's going to do it with you. You can't do it without him, you can do it with him. And he's not going to do it for you, he's going to do it with you. And so if you know the basic foundation of all the kingdom is in divine partnership. You share with a guy the other day, and you talk about somebody who has a vision and a dream, and it can't come to pass, and he's wondering why. And I go, because he's expecting God to do it. He has a responsibility to play in that vision. He has to partner with that. You have to partner with the vision that God has for you. So let me say this. You have to ask the question, is there something you have not done? Is there something you're not doing? Are there questions you're not asking? Are there risks you're not taking? Are there changes you're not making? Anybody see the movie I, Robot? Yes. we got the scientist, and Will Smith is talking to a hologram of the scientist who died, right? And he's trying to get information from this hologram, but the hologram can only give him information if he asks the right questions. I'm here to tell you the Holy Spirit behaves just like that. 
You have to ask the right questions. He will not give you the information until you start asking the questions. How do you know? Tell him I know. You have to ask him. Lord, is the vision true? He'll go, yep. Lord, is the vision going to be? Did you say this? Yes, I said that. Why isn't it coming to pass? Crickets. Is there anything in me that is permitting this, this vision from coming to pass? Now he's going to talk to me. Is there anything in my circumstances that is coming? He's not going to answer that why generic question. But if you go, if you put it in first person, you go, Lord, what is it about me? Whatever it is, my thinking, my attitude, my mindset, my lifestyle, whatever it is I'm doing, is there anything about me that is prohibiting me from achieving what you have set in front of me? Now he's going to talk to you. I show you guys a second. I got a ton of stories, but this is just the easiest. So say, you know, I believe you. And you notice the Holy Spirit because your first instinct is denying. So as soon as he says you have an attitude problem, or you're faithless, or you're misguided, he just tells you that. You have fear. You have a bondage of fear. Oh, Jesus said I had a bondage of fear. We want to go into order and suffer come. That's not why he's telling you that. Why he's telling you that when he tells you you have fear, the next question is, where is the fear? He's going to say, you have a fear of this, and then you're going to have to find where the root is. Where's the truth coming from? It's, it's, it's a series of processes, people. And the Holy Spirit only reveals the answers to you through a series of questions. He will never do it for you. This is why very few Christians actually see the kingdom manifest. They don't understand that everything he does, he does in partnership, and everything he does, he does in relationship. He will not vacate the relationship, and he will not vacate the partnership. There must be partnership, and in the partnership, there must be relationship. That's how it works. It is an ongoing conversation, and it's an ongoing talking, and it's an ongoing series of questions. This is how it works. More on that another time. So here's just here's this to summarize it. Eliminate distractions. That's what you want to be used of God, you've got to eliminate distractions. You're going to be used to God, you've got to silence the doubters. That's huge. Including yourself. You've got to avoid the detours. All the things that pull you in different directions. You've got to avoid the detours. And lastly, you have to dedicate yourself to the dream. You have to be committed. Do it again. Whatever it takes. That's really what it is. Whatever it takes. Whatever you've got to change, Jesus, change. Whatever you've got to do, do. Does that include you? Does that include the way that you think? Does that include remolding you? Does that include changing and transforming you? Ask God for great things. You should. Be prepared for things. Ask the Lord to tell you guys a story too. Ask the Lord for great things. I'm asking for specific things. I want that. And he tells me, you can't handle it. If you can't deal with Jesus offending you, you'll never walk with him. Why is he saying I can't Why is he saying you can't handle it? So the Lord looks at me and goes, Kevin, you can't handle it. He wants to see if I'm going to be offended and I'm going to leave. Or, if I'm going to have faith, and I'm going to press into what he said. Same thing with the Syrophoenician woman. He called her a dog. Some people just call her dogs. They bred us for the children. Called the woman a dog, and he looked at her to see if she was going to be offended by what he said, or if she was going to press in in faith. And she pressed in in faith. He said, I have no covenant with you. You're not my daughter. The bread belongs to the children. You don't give what is holy to dogs. You're outside of my covenant. You're outside of my provision. What you're asking for is not yours by right. It belongs to the children, my sons and daughters. That's what he's saying. And she said, yes, Lord, but even dogs have the trouble to fall from the table. And Jesus said, you have it. She didn't run away in offense. The Lord said, you can't handle it. I'm like, what do you mean you can't handle it? And he begins to show me how I can't handle it. And I said, okay, you take me apart. Take me, construct me in every way. And reconstruct me until I can handle what it is that I'm asking you for. And now we're in business. Yeah. And you better hold the chair because you're going to tear it down. You're going to tear it down. You're going to rip out the rose garden. You're going to go, I like that rose garden. Jesus is going to go, too small. You're going to tear out the back porch. I like that back porch. Too small. You've got to let him get rid of what he needs to get rid of in order to build what is new. And you cannot be offended by what he says to you. You have to be willing to be offended in order to hear from him. What if he confronted you on some things in your life? Would you be offended? Jesus said, blessed are those who are not offended because of me. So he said, blessed are those who every time I say something to them, they don't go and cry and suck their thumb in a corner, thinking they're rejected. If you're offended at Jesus and you run from him, it reveals to you that you have an identity crisis. You don't know that he loves you, and you don't know who he is, and you don't know who you are. I know I'm a son. And I know he loves me, and I know he'll never reject me. So he's saying something to me. I'm like, why is he saying that to me? 
He's saying that to me to press me into another level of encounter. And I'm like, where is this issue, Lord? And then he shows it to me. And then I go, you're right. Thank you. 